house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. You mean, is he working glass or one of us? That's more or less what I mean. You don't seem quite as happy as you should. Something's bothering you, Flo. Come on, Flo, it's easy. Just point and choose. Something about yourself, little delicate. The sex manual says women are like doorways. Men can enter through them. God's sake, Florence. How long have you been there? I thought I'd just... Ask your question, damn it. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that doesn't want your laugh. It wants to help you entering that science fair for our rocket project. Uh, every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with my jungle kitty, Joe Reed. <laughs> On Chesil Beach. I want to jump in with the Rakatatititata sound clip just instead of my voice entirely, just to like get it off of the table because it's the one thing I think of now when I think of this movie title is your demented decision <laughs> to place the title of this film in the cadence of Bibi Zahra's Benet. Bibi Zahra Benet's verse in, uh, wait, what's the name of that entire song? Uh, oh, you asked me too quickly, but her line is I'm Pussy Bitch. It's obviously, yes. Um, I know the other team's song was Sitting on a Secret, but what was there? I can't remember it. Anyway, anyway. it's the best thing about the entire season of All Stars 3, and anybody who didn't like BB can suck it, as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. Uh, it was so good. Um, Out of respect yeah, for Jayla, we are Beach. here to talk about On Chesil Beach. Not... The most exciting film to talk about. No, I had... if Jungle Kitty was showed up in this movie, she might have saved the day to explain to them, you know, how to unpack their trauma and uh, enjoy the sexual experience. I believe you mean trauma, um, but yes. How um, dare you? This is a film about trauma. Um, it is actually, uh, truly, that is the case. On Chesil Beach is an elevated horror. <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways it is, and not to the benefit of the movie. I think a lot of the reviews, if you go back and read the negative reviews, a lot of them sort of pointed out the fact that, like, it's pretty tasteless to turn the subject matter of this movie into almost like a like a whodunit or a puzzle box of just, like, why is Saoirse Ronan's character the way she is? Well, let's find out from her life. And it's just, like, it's kind of gross. I'm pretty sure it's the exact structure of the book. And, like, I understand anybody who thinks that it's, like, gross, but I feel like it could be, as a novel, you know this type of structure might work a little bit more in your inside of a character's head and like I think that's the thing processing I think... memory in the way a character would but in a movie I'm just not sure it works I never read the novel either but I just from again from reading reviews especially from people who had read the novel they said it's it's a world of difference from when you are sort of inside Florence's head 
for, you know, much of it and, and are sort of, you know, getting things from her perspective. And the movie doesn't really replicate that. And in many ways can't. Like a movie, like anytime you're adapting from a book that exists so much inside the head of a, a certain character, that's always going to be a challenge when you uh, adapt a movie and you're going to have to change things and sort of figure out a way around it. And Right. And like in movies that have pulled it off successfully, it's like, creating a the tone in the movie that matches like the tone of the narration or you know the tone of that character's voice in their head or you know not just like literally following the beats as they do in the novel which i'm not i haven't read the book either so i don't know if this is exactly it i was watching part of this and my spouse has read this book and he was like oh yeah this seems exactly like it was in the book and he's like why are you watching this well, I remember when this movie played at TIFF, which is we'll where I saw it for the first time. And first of all, watch this movie in the IMAX theater at TIFF. That was one of those ones where they like the programmed... Like the first morning of TIFF, yeah. Uh, it, if it wasn't the first day, it was like within the first couple days. But... Um, no, I looked at the schedule. Uh, it, oh, really? <laughs> yes, it was fantastic. The the like first public showing was the first day of TIFF, and then it's the first morning of the press, which is like part of the reason why this movie like died the second that it was seen because like it it was like not really competitive on like the press screening schedule in terms of no. like what were the big titles so it's like everybody saw this movie at once and then everybody immediately dismissed it and the movie was effectively dead <laughs> It was such a bizarre experience watching this in the IMAX theater as it is any time they program something that's not sort of visually visually grandiose on the IMAX screen. I remember once again I saw the Danish girl from the third row of the IMAX which oh no. Not a great not oh, a great no. environment to watch the Danish girl. Um Famously, if there is I any saw good one. Lady Bird in IMAX at TIFF. The Ladybird IMAX screening, that was the one that was, like, insanely competitive. People were, like, stabbing, you know, friends of theirs to get into that screening. It was, it was <laughs> I wasn't famously overflowed. I was at a later screening. Oh, okay. Because I remember that first one where they were just, people were just, like, they were turning away people by the dozens from the Ladybird screening. And that was before we knew what this movie was. I think that was the first indication that Ladybird was going to be big, speaking of Sersha, in 2017. Um but anyway, before I before I saw uh, on Chesil Beach, I remember talking to a couple people or hearing from a couple people who had read the book and they were being very cryptic and just being like, I'm very curious how a certain, you know, climactic moment of the movie is going to be rendered on screen. And as it turns out, just as it was, just as people were expecting that like the uh in both cases, the plot does truly hinge on a moment of premature ejaculation, and there it is. So there it is. Can I just <sighs> say the way that Billy Howell is shot, and like obviously it's intentional. The way he is shot in that like scene is so appalling. Like it's yeah. it's at an angle of his face that is so like I think it's maybe one of the better points of the movie that like it really does make you feel not just like uncomfortable but kind of repulsed by like um yeah just this hovering man um yeah I just not keyed into 
where she's at and her how little she wants this to be happening. We'll get into it later, but I do feel like he gives a very good performance in that movie. And he's an actor who I generally <sighs> like. And, well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk um, about it. We'll disagree and we'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> Always looking forward to that. Yes. <laughs> I kind of push for us to do this movie, mostly because lately I feel like I miss Sersha. Well, yes. Yeah. What's... Where... When... When was the last time we we had some fun with Sersha? I'm trying to think. Was it? It's has Little it been Women. Anything since Little Women? Point. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's in the French Dispatch, and I did like that is true. her so being briefly <laughs> in that. I mean, very very briefly. I did so think that briefly. she was like. I don't know. I like the French Dispatch. I also really famously dismiss. never saw Ammonite. I never ended up seeing Ammonite. See, so. but like when you walk away from Ammonite, it's like, why was Sersha in that movie? That yeah, car- it, like. Maybe somebody who's was a little more expected could have done something, but like that is Kate Winslet's show. Yeah. Um, because yeah, she doesn't really have much to do. We'll talk about Ammonite eventually. Oh, eventually, yes, we will talk about Ammonite. I'm gonna. I'm basically saving watching that movie until we do cover it on this podcast. Exactly. But yes, better movie so- than people gave it credit for. All right, that's sort of I I remember the sort of the boomerang of that re- the reception of that movie it has me feeling, you know, more hopeful uh, to see it, which is good. And it obviously heralded a really good year for Kate Winslet cuz all of a sudden, you know, after the sort of fizzle of the Ammonite Oscar campaign came the deserved onslaught of uh, of awards for Mayor of Easttown, which she for was so her good best in. performance ever. Oh, she's so good on that show. Spectacular. Spectacular. Yeah. All right. So, Chisel, which I always want to spell with a second H, even though it'd be silent. Like, I always want to put a second <laughs> like it's H. Like Cthulhu or something? That it's Chess Hill. But, like, you know what? You know how the oh, English, that's like. that's where you're putting the second H. Like, okay. well, they'll say Churchill, but it, there's, a, there's an H. There's a second H in Churchill. Like, uh, that, basically. Chesel is a word that makes me feel like people are going to yell at me for saying it wrong, like it's supposed to be cheesel. I don't know. I feel like every time I've heard it, because if you'll notice when I play the Rakatatiti Tata clip that I have ginned up, Sersha does say it uh, as on Chesel Beach. She says Chesel like that. She doesn't, she doesn't Irish it up like she does MacGruber, so... Uh, <laughs> one of her greatest performances, uh, just saying the word MacGruber, uh, one of my favorite things she's ever done. Yeah, I, I would I would like to see her doing something fun again in the in you know in the vein of Lady Bird or something like that. I feel like something that's a little less stuffy. Obviously, Little Women was so much fun and so much like broke out of whatever you know, period costume, you know, drama mold that that you might have thought for that. But She's like been playing Lady Macbeth on the London stage. Which is good, but like I mean unpopular not unpopular opinion or whatever, but like I may be good with Macbeth for a little while. Well You know uh, what I mean? Yeah, you're uh you're gonna have to live with it because Daniel Craig and Ruth Nega are about to do it on Broadway. <laughs> Well, good for me then that I'm not seeing things on Broadway at the moment. So, yeah. But it'll but it'll be in the ethos and the culture and the discussion. That's true. That's true. 
well, I mean, we're never going to, like, people are never going to stop doing Macbeth. And I don't think they should stop doing Macbeth. But, like, I'm at least at a point where I'm, like, the idea of somebody doing Macbeth doesn't thrill me at the moment. Right? Right. So, whatever. Sure. Whatever, whatever. Well, okay. So, she's been doing that. She has this searchlight, like, period murder mystery pseudo thing that I can't tell. The The title is something very strange. See um, how they run? Yes. Yes. Which it's a good cast. Good cast. Good cast. Probably going to be a fun movie. Hopefully Searchlight isn't just planning on dumping it on Hulu. Like, it seems like that company is gearing up to be. Thank you, Disney. Um, So we'll see. Other than that, that's all she's got coming. Yeah. Well, maybe we're in a a lull before another big... uh, She tends to do movies in bunches. I feel like she, between 2017 and 2018, she had, like, a shitload of movies. Right. And... If we had lived in a normal time, Ammonite and French Dispatch would have been coming out at the same time. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, maybe, you know, she has taken, uh, you know, some time to do some theater, and then she's going to, you know, come back into film and stuff like that. So, I keep trying to, like, avoid talking about the movie on Chesil Beach just because there's not a ton to really say about it well then let's get into the plot description and we can kind of unpack our feelings about the movie and then there's also a lot to talk about around this movie too so let's get into the plot description once again guys we're here to talk about Raka Tita on Chesil Beach directed (laughs) by Dominic Cook his directorial debut famous theater director Written by Ian McEwan based on his own novel. We'll get into the Ian McEwan of it all. Starring Sir Ronan, Billy Howell, the great Emily Watson, Anne-Marie Duff, and Samuel West. We'll also talk about it. Um, yeah. World premiered the first day of the 2017 Toronto International Film Festival and then opened limited in the States the next uh, May, Memorial Day weekend. Mr. Joseph Reed. Are you ready to give us a 60-second plot description? Absolutely unprepared, but let's do this. (laughs) Okay, your 60-second plot description for On Chesil Beach starts now. All right, it's uh, England in the 1960s, and I guess it's a swinging time for many people, but not for Edward and Florence, who just got married and and, and have never had sex before, and they are very sort of uh, young and innocent. And he's sort of like a rock and roll guy, and she's a classical violinist, and uh, he comes from a working-class family, and she comes from a more posh family, and, and they get married, and they go to honeymoon on the uh, in Dorset, I believe, which is where Chesil Beach is. Anyway, Chesil Beach. Um, uh, the problem is that she seems very reticent to have sex for the first time, and he wants to, and there's a whole lot of flashbacks into their lives and what's going on and why do, and they finally try to have sex, and he comes all over her thigh, and she gets so upset, and she runs away, and we find out through flashbacks that it's because her father probably molested her, and it's really unsettling, and then she wants to live a a marriage without sex, and he gets so furious at the suggestion, and he leaves her forever, and then many years later, they're both old, and she's playing the violin, and he's very sad that they never got together. That's basically it. I didn't talk about how... His mom has got hit by a train door and had brain damage. And the way that that is shot is not supposed to be funny. No, but it is. It really is ends up being funny. She just like turns around and a train door knocks her over in a way that looks like it's shot from the mask or something. Some Jim Carrey movie. (laughs) 
His <laughs> mom's Anthony also does. mentally unwell. Like, but that's why, though, right? Like that's the that's the explanation as to why I believe why she gets hit by the door. See, no, the why she ends up being are not very precise. Like I believe, I believe we're meant to think that she got hit. She got hit by the train door, and that is why she had mental problems for right. the rest of her life. I it's, don't know. It's such a kind of like shaggy movie in a way yes. that like really kind of hurts i think some of the generational and gender dynamics and sexual dynamics throughout it that like this movie really yes. should be like precise in these flashbacks and precise in what it's actually saying because like the the plot point is that she she basically wants to be asexual in their marriage but it, crucially she says you can sleep with whoever you want so long as you just yes. love me. And that's what yes. makes him explode because he's appalled by that. He's appalled, he's appalled by, by, the by that because I think that. what the suggestion here is, is that he doesn't, it's not sex that he wants. It's not sex that he's been promised, you know, as a man entering marriage, he's been promised control. And that's what like, the societal demand is and what she is requesting is would create more of a parody between the two of them they would be equal they wouldn't be having sex but they would both be getting ultimately what they want and he can't have that and i don't think he realizes that until later i don't think the movie underlines that very well well the movie sort of shoves all of this really the part that's really kind of interesting into the last I'll be generous and say a half hour, but it's really the last like 20, 25 minutes. And there's so much sort of like ponderous getting to the point of uh, where this all happens. And you're right, like this kind of negotiation between them all sort of happens in this one scene on the beach, which, by the way, for a titular beach... It looks like a really bad beach because it's just all full of stones. It's, <laughs> it's just like a stone mound path. And it's like just... when they're trying to stomp away from each other, it's all like awkward and they're kind of like falling and catching slipping, their mouths. Slipping through the, the loose stones. Yeah, it just looks – it's one of those things where I remember my family and I would go to uh, Cape Cod on occasion. That's sort of our like place we would go when we would go on vacation. And we would always sort of – and at some point like – at low tide, when, like, the sandbars are out and whatever, like, the beaches look wonderful. But when you sort of first walk out to the beach, especially if it's high tide, it's just like, oh, it's just all rocks on the beach. Like, that's sort of <laughs> what, you're, what you're walking out to. Um, and But anyway, uh, so the whole movie is this, like, long lead-up to this one confrontation on the beach, and that's where things do get interesting. Because you're right, then there are power dynamics there. There are the fact that I, I find it interesting that she leads up to her pitch to him of how they could live their lives with her being asexual and him having affairs or whatever with just like, my mom knows these two gay guys who have an apartment in the city and they live and they're fine. And her point is we don't have to play by, you know, we can make our own rules just like they've made our own rules. And, uh, and he's very shitty about it afterwards. Just like, we're not two queers on, you know, Beaumont street or whatever. And, but it is interesting that that's how she would try to lead with that when she's trying to get him to realize that we could just like, this would be fine. And he's, she's just like, just like these two, you know, closeted homosexuals in the city. And it's just, it's, it was, I thought that was very funny. Um, but 
this is all of this is where the movie gets interesting. And then all of a sudden this scene is over and it's just like that's it. The marriage is over and then the next thing we know after like a couple scenes with him sort of telling his family that it's over. It's a flash forward and then he's like living with a lifetime of regret and it's just like if we could exist in that space a little bit more it's a more interesting movie rather than having it be mm-hmm. an hour and a half of build up to like why does she regret react so strongly when he comes on her you know leg or whatever and i don't know anyway you were trying well to say i don't know if you need more of that i just think you need it to be better <laughs> and yeah. more precise because like McEwen is a writer who writes very well about like regret and the effect of that yes. on an entire life. But like yes. you compare this to Atonement, which we'll get into it because of Sersha. Yeah. You compare this to Atonement, that is not that much of that book. That's like 20 pages of that book and maybe 10 minutes of that movie. But it makes it so clear and so succinct that it's devastating and like it puts you in that character's state of I fucked things up not just for myself but for other people whereas I suppose on Chesil Beach is just this guy like I was a bastard when I was younger and it's you know but also the idea of regret kind of winds its way through atonement before we get to that scene at the end and and we're if not like narratively prepped for it, we're certainly like emotionally prepared for it. And, and it's sort of the logical, natural endpoint to that movie. And in a way where Chesil Beach, it feels like all suddenly sprung on me, where all of a sudden I'm just like, oh, that's what this movie's been about this whole time is she wants to have a non conventional, uh, celibate marriage with this guy. And it's just like, oh, I had no idea that that's what this was about. And, before I've even sort of gotten my bearings as to, oh, now this is the the space that I'm in, that scene is done and we're and I don't I, and I don't need the scene specifically to be longer. I need the emotional space that we are in in that part of the movie to have more room to breathe and have more room mm-hmm. to explore itself and to explore the notions of itself. And whether that is scenes earlier in the movie where she lay, maybe, Hey meets this homosexual couple who her mom knows on Beaumont street, like these kind of things. <laughs> and, um, you know Every what I mean? Movie Just like- needs a third act. Um, Sersha monologue of like, you know, there's these gay men who would have played them. And why is one of them? Simon Russell deal. <laughs> <laughs> right Simon, Simon Russell, Russell Beale and, and Rory Kinnear um, who else uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think or Rory Kinnear and uh, Reese Ifans no I'm more so thinking god why is his name uh, Stephen Fry oh well of course Stephen Fry and Simon Russell Beale yeah. That's your couple. Exactly. Exactly. I love this. All right. Go back in time and make this happen, Dominic Cook. Um, Yeah. So by the time you get to this end scene where they're in like this really extreme old age makeup uh, and she's married and we're left to assume that this marriage that she's found is, uh, you know, is satisfactory to her. Right. She's sort of, you know, ended up with. One would hope, at least, that she didn't just sort of, like, end up in a marriage where she's forced to have sex. Um, but she also has this regret of, you know, this life with with him, Edward, 
that never happened, and he's in the audience just if like not regret, weeping on we the latex ever, on his face. We don't get her perspective though of the rest that's, of her life. We that's just a big see problem. Her, we just yes. see her. She never speaks for herself. We never see right. any of her flashbacks. We just right. know she has a family with like yes. children and grandchildren now. Yeah, but yeah. like we don't know if the reason she's crying is because there's a sense of regret, or if the right. pain of that experience is still living with her. We don't know right. what the difference That's true. is, and I would have liked to have known. Yes, yes, same. Um, or, like, if we're not going to know, that whole sequence should be played just from his perspective, so it's like, he doesn't know, and we can't know either. But right. instead, it's kind of like this duet of them looking at each other and crying, yeah. and we get it from their both, per- both of their perspectives, but we don't actually know what her perspective is yeah yeah i agree i agree um it's a lot it's a it's to me it's a big waste of the movie ends up being a waste of a talented cast um a a potentially i guess interesting story if it's told differently um it's you know a waste of sean bobbitt as a cinematographer you know what i mean it's just Mm -hmm. like it just just in general feels um I feel like we've gotten fairly in-depth with, like, the substance of the movie, but have said nothing about the first hour of it, because, like, it takes that long to get into what the movie is really about. Well, and so much of the, like, when I said in in my plot description of just, like, he's, you know, he likes rock and roll, and she likes classical music, he's from a working-class family, she's from a posh family, and it's like, those are the things in the, like... uh, premise of the movie but they don't really make themselves known in any kind of interesting way we're told this but it doesn't ever really feel like they're like that all that different they could it you don't get the sense when they're on this honeymoon that they're two people who come from different worlds or at least i don't right i agree so i think that's a problem and maybe that is a problem with the acting but like i also feel like the movie doesn't dramatize it in any interesting way mm-hmm. so um, so you didn't like Billy Howell in this movie. I thought he was quite good. I don't. I mean, like, some of it, I think the character isn't defined really well. Like, we know that he is, like, quick to get angry and, like, maybe overreact. But, like, also the support we have for that is him, like, protecting his friend who, like, is somebody shouts like a... Uh, a Jewish slur at him, slur yeah. at him yeah. and yeah. he beats the shit out of the stranger in the street but like that's kind I mean like he gets outsized in violence to like you know the aggression mm-hmm. that it was shown towards his friend mm-hmm. and it's like oh wait maybe he could kill this guy um, but it's like we're still supporting it because like he's protecting his friend right? but he's never really likable we're never really like in his head and like he's supposed to be a shit like he is in the wrong for what act what the substance of the movie is right but i don't know it's i understand her more than i understand him and i think the movie oh is stronger. i think it's i think it's the total opposite i think we don't get nearly enough of her for me to feel like i am in it with her, which I think is a big problem with the movie. I think, at the very least, we get more 
I think, and I think the fact that it's an imbalance is a problem. Um, we get more of him. There's a scene where he co- he brings Florence home to meet his family and specifically his mother. And he's, of course, very nervous about this. And it goes well. Like, Florence really, you know, sort of reacts well to his mother's uh, mental illness. And 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 uh, even though things don't go quite right, like, his mother is still, like, naked in the living room when they show up and whatever. And um, But it goes well, and he sort of retreats to the kitchen, and he breaks down and starts crying out of, to me at least, relief and sort of appreciation for the fact that this girl that he loves um, fits, like, is is a good fit for the particular sort of, like, trying home circumstances that he has. And that, to me, sort of really endeared me to him. I thought the scene with where he does sort of, you know, get violent in, def- in defense of his friend, while foreshadowing of the temper that he ends up displaying on the beach uh, is also endearing in a way. So uh, I do feel like we get enough of him. And I think those are the scenes in which I think he does a particularly good job. And then as impossible as the task is on the beach to sort of like tell enough of the story where it is really kind of getting sprung on us, he has moments where he is in the wrong, and he is, you know, acting out in this sort of toxically male perspective, where I think he sells it to me, and sells it to me sufficiently that I sort of, I get where he's coming from, even if I'm not on his side. I'm a little less sold, because, like, all those threads to me and the performance aren't, like, brought together into like a believable person he's just doing whatever is happening in the moment you know and it's not it's not creating the fabric of a person right and maybe like my feelings on the balance are just i think Sersha is a better actor and performer than he is and it's interesting because we're both the two of the three people on the planet who have seen both of them in the seagull (laughs) yeah um and I really didn't like him in that movie either. I don't love him in that movie. I don't really remember a ton about him in the movie. I don't remember a ton about that movie that isn't Elizabeth Moss. because That isn't specifically Elizabeth Moss smoking. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't love Saoirse in that movie either. I don't think no, she's, no, uh, she's uh, all that good. And, no, the thing that I like... Cause the the Billy Hall's only been in a very small handful of movies. Uh, one of them being one of the... Eight billion twinks on a beach in uh, Dunkirk. He's a drowning twink in Dunkirk. Yes. Um, the thing that I really loved him in, and I know you're going to disagree, although you maybe have not seen this movie, but whatever. Um, he's great in Outlocking, a movie that I... You are right. I have not seen that movie. Saw at TIFF before they like re-edited it or whatever. And even before the re-edit, I really liked it. Um, I saw it at the premiere. That was the one where everybody sort of like walked out and started texting about how you see Chris Pine's penis in the movie. Yes, because you saw it not only before the re-edit, but you saw it before everyone knew that Chris Pine um, showed Hog in the movie. I think it's a good movie. I... uh, I've never seen it again because it's a long and brutal movie and I didn't really feel like I wanted to go through that again. But like for what it was being sort of this like violent and brutal and whatever, I thought it was good. And I thought Billy Howell, who plays uh, uh, 
Prince Edward, who is the uh, son of the king in this movie. And this is the character who I'm pretty sure, because Outlaw King and Braveheart sort of like connect at odd angles. Like it's not, Chris Pine doesn't play the character that Mel Gibson plays in Braveheart, but like that character, William Wallace, is in Outlaw King. Uh, sort of elsewhere and sort of on the periphery of it, but it's about the same general sort of era in Scotland and fight for Scottish independence and yada, yada, yada. And so I think the character that Billy Howell plays in Outlaw King, who is the sort of like, uh, not exactly, in Outlaw King, he's not exactly like foppish, but he's sort of like, he's a weakling who overcompensates by trying to act like a tough guy. And he just sort of comes across as just really over the top. And of course in Braveheart, this is the character who like is a homosexual and, and has a lover and like Mel Gibson throws the lover out of a tower in this like very triumphant and gross homophobic moment in the movie. And, but anyway, anyway, what I'm saying is Billy Howell is tremendously entertaining and a, Big ol' hoot in Outlaw King, and I really loved him. And he hasn't really been in much of anything since then. He British was, TV. He was in a lot of British TV that I haven't seen. He's going to be, however, uh, in the television adaptation of the John Krakauer book, Under the Banner of Heaven, which is um, about... Uh, a murder that happens within the Mormon community in Utah. Didn't it's like they a finally non- film that thing because they've been talking about doing that for like a decade. Yes, because it's uh, a miniseries. Well, who's the who's like the marquee star in this? Uh, Andrew Garfield. Yes, yes, great for cast. Andrew Garfield, Apple? Daisy Edgar Jones. What's that for Apple? Who's I want to say Hulu, but I could be wrong. It could be Apple. Um. Anyway. Anyway, uh, FX, I guess. Ah. All right. Anyway, um, he's going to be in that, not as the lead, obviously, as we said. It's uh, it's uh, Andrew Garfield. But I read that book, and I was captivated by it. It's so fantastic and interesting. And Krakauer also had written a book about, I believe, somebody who climbs Everest. Like, he's uh, Something uh, like that, yeah. a nonfiction uh, writer. And he wrote uh, Into the Wild is the other thing, the, uh, the book that uh, – uh, the the Sean Penn was turned into was... a very middling movie. I liked Into the Wild. I think more than than some of its detractors did. Uh, I haven't seen it since, but I remember liking it. Anyway, Under the Banner of Heaven, I'm very much looking forward to. So, uh, but yeah. So I generally, I feel like I'm more pro uh, Billy Howell than you. And I think with Sersha, I don't dislike her in this movie, but because I've loved her so much in so many other things, this cannot help but feel like a letdown and a disappointment. Well, she does she actually does so few movies, but I think the bar is so high mm-hmm. for her mm-hmm. that like things like this get kind of forgotten because like people even talk about Hannah more than this. Oh, um, well, Hannah, Hannah fucking, fucking rules. rules. Yeah. Um <laughs> Let's sort but, of go through this search career actually because we haven't had a yes, chance this is this our first this might be our first Saoirse Ronan movie which well uh, I mean as exciting. we will see there's not going to be many that we can talk about for right her. she played is she Michelle Pfeiffer's daughter in I Could Never Be Your Woman the Amy Heckerling movie because I've never seen that probably movie. um 
let's take a look and see if we can tell by her character's name. Mm, hold on. Yes, Michelle Pfeiffer's daughter. And I could never be your woman. Have never seen it. But anyway, obviously the big breakthrough role uh, comes in that same year. She's young Bryony in Atonement. One of my favorite movies of that year. Uh, same. Probably my favorite Joe Wright movie, although he's made a ton of movies that I really like. Um, she's really fantastic. She gets the Oscar nomination. She is the one Oscar-nominated uh cast member from that movie which i often feel like is a bummer because mcavoy rules in that movie and kira is so good in that movie and and i get why it all sort of funneled into saoirse because she was young and so impressive at such a young age easy to categorize it as a supporting performance whereas i think there was some hesitation to say that like mcavoy is the lead of the movie for whatever weird reason but like he is though like kira i think is a more like that's a squishier kind of a thing she's the lead for you know the first third of the movie and then she kind of uh, goes away have you ever um have we ever talked about i don't think we have on this the stories that they've both told about filming that movie and specific, specifically filming the sex scene in the library in that movie. Oh my God. I Maybe, but no, tell, tell our listeners. It's so wonderfully charming. And I always think about it when I think of Joe Wright. So both of them separately on separate, she was on the Graham Norton show more recently and he was on, um, what's the chat show? It's a British, uh, Parkinson, uh, uh, longer ago. And, and so, uh, but they both sort of tell basically the same story with the slight differences in Joe Wright's tone of voice. But it's basically McAvoy's telling about how when you film sex scenes in movies, it can often be very uncomfortable for the actors because the directors are often hesitant to give specific directions. Sometimes they'll just say, find yourself in the moment and just sort of go with it. And he's like, and that's weird for actors because then if I, you know, touch a woman's breast, I'm the one making the decision to touch a woman's breast and it just feels, you know, it's uncomfortable. And so he said, Joe Wright, totally different. What I really liked about Joe Wright filming that sex scene in the library was he was very specific about what he wanted us to do. And he was like, and that's great because all of a sudden now we have our marching orders and we, you know, do. And so, um, and so at one point uh, in the in the sex scene, he's like, Joe's sort of like barking out like commands as they go along of just like, do this, do this, do that. And then he goes, and finally at one point he just goes, Kira, wank him off. <laughs> <laughs> what was great about Atonement was that uh, Joe was very, very, very on the ball with what he wanted. So when you were doing something, it was at his behest. So much so that he was... Well, <laughs> yes, I am. Um, so much so that at one point he was getting so into it and telling us what to do as we, he was off camera. He went, All right, Kira, wank him off. <laughs> and uh, he just asked me permission to say that, don't he? Uh, and, uh, sorry, Dan. And, um, and um, uh, here we are, I'm on parquet. My granny's been waiting for this for years. And I've just, uh, 
And so, uh, and Kira tells the story on Graham Norton, basically sort of the same setup, except in Kira's, it's just like, Kira, wank him off. So it's like, it's, I don't know, there's a scene, we're having sex up against the book, bookshelf, as you do. And it's with the lovely James McAvoy, he's a friend, he's really lovely, and it's always awkward because he's a friend and that's awkward. And we're in the middle of it and suddenly this voice just goes, Kira, wank him off! <laughs> and it's just so fantastically charming that the both of these actors sort of like remember that specific moment from uh from that and it makes me like them and it makes me like joe Wright so much and um makes me love atonement even more but yeah um i'll i'll definitely i'll thread the clips in there uh because so good uh, so i always think about that a little bit when i watch that scene in atonement <laughs> of just like kira wank him off um but anyway uh Oscar we are, nomination. Uh, we are staunch atonement defenders. It took 100%. a while for people to come around to that movie because yep. everybody wrote it off as stuffy British period drama when that's not at all what that movie is. You and I um, have, I think, a lot of experience with people brushing off a lot of really good movies with the epithet of Oscar bait, right? Oscar bait for so many people is this right. like dirty term or whatever. And I saw somebody, I saw a tweet the other day that really annoyed me where it's just like, what I don't understand about Oscar bait is like, do people like being baited? Like, do you, do you, do you, oh, do I know. You like what you're talking. I know. It's so obnoxious because it's just like, as first of all, as if you've never been catered to or pandered to in your movie taste, but no, uh-huh. everything that you like is from a purely objective and not at all like pandered to place. First of all, people fuck also up. need to realize when they're talking about the difference between marketing and an actual movie because that's the also disconnect that. with atonement. People's uh, people when they say they don't like atonement, they're talking about the marketing of the movie. Watch that movie again. That is a movie with like really deep themes that have and like maybe partly my relationship with it was like i had a really strong relationship with that book where i'm like yeah walking around sobbing reading that book right um but also you're telling on yourself and your complete lack of discernment when you say that you cannot watch a movie that is a costume drama or a historical epic or a some a biopic or whatever and you cannot watch a movie like that and f- decide for yourself whether it succeeds or fails under its own merits and all of a sudden you have to brush everything aside as Oscar bait because you've been able to you know figure out the the touchstones and the sort of the tells of what makes oscar bait like fuck off like i'm sorry you just you just seem like a very stupid person people don't make those movies to be like you know we're just really trying to get awards for this that might be why those movies get funded because producers or production companies are see the potential in that but like the storytellers aren't going after that though there is a movie in this year's oscar race that some that i was listening to an interview with the filmmaker that i was like Hmm. Uh, what was it? I, I find uh, your intentions in making this movie suspect. Um, Who, it's a what? movie that we disagree on. And, is it Belfast? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, it's a movie that is not going to get an Oscar nomination that we disagree on, and I don't feel like shitting on this movie any oh, okay. further, well, so I'll tell you off mic. Tell me off um, mic. All right. Anyway. But... But people don't make movies with those intentions, especially costume dramas. They're, like... Right. Just if... If it feels like awards bait to us as a viewer, that's not what the movie's problems are. The movie's problems are they didn't develop their themes well enough. They didn't get into the core of this character. They didn't yes. make us care about these people. That's the fucking problem. Not yes. yep. 
oh, they just wanted Oscars. Like, no, that's... All right. Yes, people tell on themselves. So, <laughs> anyway. Oscar nomination for Atonement. She moves on. I have not seen City of Ember. I, that movie sort of came and went. And That's the one where Bill Murray is weirdly in it, right? Yes, yes. It gotcha. is a kind of a fantasy adventure kind of a thing. Anyway, didn't see it. So the next thing, the next big thing that she's the in. The tomb in the middle of Sir Ronan's house. Indeed. In terms of her potential... Uh, Oscar nominations is the Lovely Bones. Right. She takes the you, you get the the uh, whatever momentum. I almost said motivation. Momentum of the Oscar nomination, and it moves into the Lovely Bones, which again we cannot talk about on this podcast tragically because the Oscars had the extreme poor taste that year of nominating Stanley Tucci's performance uh, when they could have just nominated his Julie and Julia performance. We've talked about this. It's very stupid. Anyway, I would love to talk about The Lovely Bones because... Do we think Saoirse was like sixth or seventh? Because she got a Critics' Choice and BAFTA. BAFTA as well, The BAFTA nomination, I think, is what's telling. I would love to sort of dig into uh, that because, yes, it's, it's... there was so much expectation on it. The book was so huge. Peter Jackson was such an interesting choice to do something like that, coming off of The Lord of the Rings and King Kong. and, and Just the production history of that movie, uh, the way mm-hmm. Lynn Ramsey was involved and got uninvolved is partly why it would be so... The Ryan would, Gosling of it all. Uh-huh. Like, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the Ryan Gosling of it is really fascinating, too, because, like, there are disparate stories that are told about it oh because, and like, like from Ryan his Gosling perspective was like and... oh i was trying to i was doing this weight gain to appear older blah blah blah, blah. but yeah. apparently it's come out that peter jackson was like no peter jackson hated ryan gosling and fired him <laughs> because he was essentially a pill a pill um, yeah i could see i could see both of those things being in some ways true so yes uh that's very interesting anyway um, so then she's, this is, it's, it goes into kind of a, uh, quiet period for her. This is when I always talk about this, where it really felt like Saoirse Ronan and Mia Wasikowska were competing for the same sort of slot in the Hollywood ecosystem. And for a while there, Mia was winning. She was in Stoker. She was in Kids Are All Right. She was like, mm-hmm. and Saoirse was in a lot of things that got a lot of less attention. She was in The Way Back, the Peter Weir movie that is about, um, People walking and having horrible, dirty, busted up feet, and it is unpleasant to watch. Um, but some people liked it, but mostly people didn't see it. Um, Hannah, who, which is another Joe Wright movie, which fucking rules, and she fucking rules in it, and it did not get the kind of attention that it deserved to get. And I will com- forever scream in people's faces about how Hannah deserved better because it was that great. fucking score rips, man. Oh my God. The Chemical Brothers score to that movie yeah. is so good. Holy shit. Yes. And it's just, it's a much stranger movie than even that you think, even when you, when you're told that the premise is about a young girl raised in the wild by her father to be an, uh, an assassin, essentially, it's even weirder than that. The, the Tom Hollander of it all, the Kate Blanchett of it all, it's so uh, good. Anyway. I would love to see Blanchett in another Joe Wright movie, though I'm kind of falling off the Joe Wright train lately, but I would love to see Blanchett Shh. work with him again. It's fine. He'll be fine. He'll direct something great again. All right. Did I you know. ever see... Cyrano Vi- sucks. I didn't love Cyrano. Uh, I wouldn't say it sucks, but... Um, I think it's his worst movie. Oh, wow. Worse than Pan. Absolutely. Wow. 
All right. Have you ever seen Violet and Daisy, the movie with her and no, Alexis Bledel? Violet and Daisy is the movie that I always confuse with Ginger and Rosa. <laughs> See, I've seen Ginger and Rosa. Um, but yeah, Violet and Daisy, I've never seen, even though the cast is wild. Saoirse Ronan, Alexis Bledel, Danny Trejo, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, James Gandolfini, um, Tatiana Maslany is I in it. watch this. This sounds like some shit I'd like. I don't even know what the premise of it is. And oh, they're assassins. Yeah, this is that, interesting. It, it, I confuse it with Ginger and Rosa, or I did at the time. Right. Ginger and Rosa is just about like two girls growing up together. And yeah, the like 60s they couldn't be England. more different. It's just right. like, you know, just movies that exist only on the periphery of the periphery. And you, Chris, when you I know. finally come to Columbus to visit, we'll watch Violet and Daisy. We'll have a time okay, of it. Okay. Um, the one that I always talk about that nobody's ever seen is the Neil Jordan movie Byzantium, where she and Gemma Arterton play vampires on a you do coastal town. Byzantium. It rules. More people should see it. It's rainy and and romantic and and spooky, scary, and uh, and she and Gemma Arterton fucking rule in it. Especially Gemma Arterton, she's so good. Uh, I saw that one at the Tribeca Film Festival and. Nobody talked about it, and it barely got released, and I love it so much. It's so good. Um, she did that movie, The Host, not the not the Bong Joon-ho host, but uh, not the, the good host. The Stephanie whole... Meyer yeah. <laughs> host that is really bad. Um, Which is like the one time that Saoirse really kind of steps into the standard expectation for a teen actor teen actress in doing this era of ya adaptation that like is in a genre and like obviously it just it didn't work for her i mean like she got saddled with one of the like worst properties to be doing that but yeah the good thing about it is people forgot about it almost immediately. Like, it really did yeah. leave people's uh, cultural memories, which is good. Uh, she also did the Kevin McDonald movie, How I Live Now, that I did not see. Or which I, I believe not, is also I did not a YA seen. adaptation, but I know people that like that movie. The thing about this era of Saoirse's movies is she's making these movies with fairly interesting directors that end up being like either the worst movies that they've done like peter jackson's the lovely bones or the most anonymous movies that they've done we're like peter weir's the way back nobody really ever talks about that um byzantium nobody ever talks about that when they talk about neil jordan nobody ever talks about how i live now when they talk about kevin mcdonald and it's just sort of it's a very kind of quiet and under the radar period, even though she's sometimes giving really interesting performances, as in Hannah and Byzantium. Um and then I think the the rebound sort of starts with Grand Budapest Hotel, where like it's not like she's the one walking out of Grand Budapest Hotel with like the lion's share of attention, but it's a pretty big role in that movie. And it's obviously a huge Oscar success. Best Picture nominee gets a bunch of other nominations. And Grand Budapest Hotel is like the movie where like she's entering this era where the camera absolutely loves her. Yes, I think that's right. She's also in the Ryan Gosling movie Lost River that I have not seen. It that... is. It, it, I, I, I know I it's know bad. It has its defenders, but like it is, it is a very try hard movie. He wants to be making a David Lynch movie. He wants to be making a Nick Reffin movie. There yeah. are some amazing images in it, but it is, I do feel like I should it, at some it, point it, watch it. Like, Oh when yeah. I'm... Check it out just for the artifact of it. But yes. it's, yeah, it, it's I certainly would movie. rather watch that movie for the first time than watch 
uh, Only God Forgives, which I've also never seen, but also just seems Ooh. like a movie that would be unpleasant for me to watch. Whereas Lost River isn't unpleasant, whereas yeah. Only God Forgives is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then 2015 is the big sort of searches back moment with uh, with Brooklyn, which premieres at Sundance and is not the talk of that year's Sundance, but really um, perseveres and stays in uh, the Oscar conversation sort of when it resurfaces in the fall and she gets... Sundance is a weird place to launch that movie, I think. It is. If they had launched it at, you know, like Venice or Toronto or even Telluride, that movie probably would have been massive if it had, you know, been dropped on audiences for the first time at that place. But like, it's not the vibe of Sundance. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It does get the Best Picture nomination, though, along with nominations for Saoirse and Best Actress and uh, Adapted Screenplay. So that is, I think that's the one where all of a sudden she's almost 10 years past uh, Atonement, eight years past Atonement. And it's just like, oh, she's still got it. She wasn't just this sort of flash in the pan child performance or whatever. She's as it turns out, one of the best of her generation. And now she's in this totally different, it's a romantic uh, movie, she's a romantic lead in this, and, you know, all of a sudden she's on our radar. And then comes 2017, at the, like we said, at the same tiff, uh, she's got On Chesil Beach and Lady Bird, and on paper, you would look at that and be like, oh, On Chesil Beach is going to be the one that she's going to be in an Oscar conversation for. And Lady Bird is going to be an interesting curiosity by this weird actress, Greta Gerwig, who we don't know if she can, you know, direct anything. And, you know, is this just going to be... I remember... Isn't on paper what Oscar goes for. Yeah, exactly. And it's... and it, Right, it's, it's, it's a sort of... It's a domestic uh, drama, very small, very sort of humble. And I remember being interested in Lady Bird, but I had, I mean, I was as dumb as anybody about that movie and just being like, oh yeah, that's not going to be like a big deal. It's going to be a small, I love Greta Gerwig more than anybody. And I was just like, it's not going to be a big deal. That and was the one that was like desperate to get into at that TIFF because like you couldn't get tickets to, to it. Like the press screenings were filling up. It yeah. was like. It wasn't until that happened that I became like really really interested in seeing it because i i think a part of me was a part of me has always been very protective of greta gerwig from a very early point because i really loved her first time i saw her in house of the devil i was just like she's amazing and then i loved her in the whit stillman movie um shit what's the title of that movie um damsels in distress damsels in distress uh i liked lola versus i of course loved Francis Ha and Mistress America, insanely so much, so much. And I know that all of those movies have a ton of supporters and then some pretty significant detractors because it's a very specific, she has a very specific vibe and it's a very kind of like quirky girl vibe that a lot of people are really allergic to. Mm-hmm. And I've always been such a fan and and not only such a fan, but like Francis Ha really really got to me and really like i love that movie with my whole heart and soul and so the detractors of her really kind of like you know needled me like sort of like stuck me in between my ribs right and so going into ladybird i was like oh god people are gonna maybe be really mean about this if it's not good and i kind of wanted to 
maybe subconsciously avoid it because of that. But then Mm -hmm. it became such a must-see movie at that TIFF that I saw it at one of the later screenings of that one. And I was so part of me relieved but also part of me so thrilled by obviously the thing of it because it's such a fantastic movie and i remember when you got out of that movie you like wouldn't talk to me about it because we saw uh, what was it that you were like hustling from to see together and i was like but just tell me about the movie (laughs) and like you didn't i can always tell when you really love something because you hold those cards so close to your chest i'm very protective of it i'm very protective of the things that i love i don't want other people shitting on them and um and I needed to be sure that people wouldn't <laughs> before I sort of put my heart out there for Lady Bird. But oh boy, oh boy, did I love it. Uh, I think Katie had seen it before either one of us had seen it. And Katie sort of was just like, Joe, you're going to love that movie. And I was just like, oh, I hope so. So, And she was, of course, right. And obviously, that's the one that, like, that's the one where, like, she gets the SNL hosting thing. Like, she breaks through into the mainstream if she hadn't already been like brooklyn was sort of like confirmation with cinephiles and whatever that like she's back but then ladybird kind of goes everywhere and yeah and then it's surprisingly you're right it's surprisingly few movies that she's made in the now uh, almost five years since ladybird um Nothing the seagull. makes me feel old than Lady Bird being I know. five years old because Lady Bird was like my high school experience. Christine's Christine's already graduated from NYU, Chris. Like it's Oh my god. I know. I All right. But it's the Seagull, which we've talked about, we both saw, and is is not really good, and she's not really uh, that good in it. Mary Queen of Scots, which I think is a bad movie that she acquits herself pretty well in, I would say. I think it's watchable. I don't think that movie is as bad as a lot of people said it was. I remember being the person that's like, because Mary Queen of Scots was so delayed, and that's another movie that we can't talk about because it got Oscar nominations and almost got Margot Robbie an Oscar nomination. Almost. Very close. Yeah. Um, I remember being like, because it kept being pushed, it was like supposed to be at Toronto and they pulled it right before it was like announced and that was the rumor or whatever. Yeah. And, like, it was being held out, and you know, and, like, you know, and listeners We were all very suspicious about why. Begin, yes, yeah. You know, yes. and, like... The, the buzz on that got really her, bad. Yeah. <laughs> but there was so much pressure on that movie because, like, the photos of her in costume were released, uh-huh. like, while Lady Bird is in theaters and stuff. So it's building up the anticipation for this movie. And then, like, the fact that nobody's seen it and it's not at a festival, you know, creates, you know bad vibes around a movie and i remember being the person that's like no guys it's gonna be really good you watch like (laughs) what if this ends up working and like it's the late breaking great movie and then when i saw it i was like you know what it is more peculiar than you think it's going to be which i think is the one interesting thing about it like you think that's some people's problem with it though because it is it's not entirely not my problem with it like it's it doesn't succeed as on the level that i think it wants to uh yeah it almost needs to be, like, not quite Moulin Rouge level, but it needs to, like, kind of <laughs> pump up that volume of, yeah, yeah. you know, it's anachronistic costuming, you know, the, it, it, it needs, like, a, to be a little bit more of what it is to yes. work. 2019, she does Little Women, once again with Greta Gerwig. It fucking rules. 
That is a movie where I believe I walked out of my screening and I texted you and Katie immediately and was just like, this movie is the goddamn best. It's so, uh, oh my God, I was on a cloud walking out of that movie. It's so exuberant. It's so full of life. wild to me that like there was never any real momentum around Saoirse to to get her like, I mean, she's so young, which is preventing people from thinking of her in an overdue type of way. Here's the other thing, though. Little Women was one of the last movies to screen that year and one of the last movies to get released that year. And by that time, like, Renee had that Oscar sewn up by the end of September. Like, that was, it was, the story was too good. At that point, it didn't matter that people didn't, maybe didn't love Judy. And some of them liked it better than others. And I think it's actually pretty okay. Um, I would say pretty good, actually. Anyway, um, it didn't matter. By that time, the the storyline of Renee Zellweger had gone away. She had won the Oscar early, uh, had gone away, had sort of, you know, quasi quit acting. Although it's one of those things where it's just like, how long was she actually, actually gone? Anyway, had the whole brouhaha with like people making fun of her plastic surgery with her face. And by the time the good reviews for Judy came along... Everybody was just like, what a great triumph for Renee, coming back from people being such assholes about her for a while. Mm-hmm. And and she her, her previous Oscar was in supporting, and she's obviously a leading lady, so she, you know, it wouldn't be overkill. And what a great story to have her win a second Oscar this year. And by the end of September, like people like dusting their hands off and just like, well, that's it. We've got one. We've got one squared away. And by the time Little Women came along, it was the question wasn't could anybody beat Renee? It's like who else is going to get nominated? And that's sort of this that was the ceiling of it. And yeah. I wonder if the timing of those things had been different, if Little Women had been the one to come out in the fall festivals and Judy had been the one to wait, 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 wait till the last minute. I or could even still if Little see... Women had been at the fall festivals, because Little Women was ready. Little Women right. had an offer to be at Cannes and right. they turned it down. I could still see Renee winning in those circumstances, but it would have been a race. And then all of a sudden it comes into play that, like, this is Saoirse's fourth nomination. And is it is it her time? Has she, you know, has she paid her dues enough? There's also and a certain level of Little Women where the star of Little Women is Greta Gerwig. That is Because true it's, you know, it's a feat of adaptation, like... Yes. It's remarkably well directed considering yep. like what people expect of that material. Yep. 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 Totally. I think that's right. Even though Search is great in it and like is is a really fantastic performance, but you're right. The adaptation of it is a star Florence Pugh really like steals the show in a lot of ways and Yes, I think you're right. When but I, I also... watched it this Christmas, when she's the line of "I have very small feet, the finest in the family" is truly <laughs> the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. What a great movie! I should have watched that over Christmas. I should watch that every Christmas. What a wonderful movie! Anyway, um, we talked a little bit about Ammonite. We've talked about Ammonite a lot on this podcast for having not seen it, for me having not seen it, and for us never uh, covering it. We'll get to it. Is um, that the movie that we said would be our first? Uh, class of 2020 movie. Is it? Have we? I, I don't know if we made specific promises. I mean, we're coming up on that. I think we're actually going to be late. No, because we don't do we don't do it until after the Oscar ceremony. I think that's right. We've been doing this so long, I forget. 
our own rules. Our rules. Our rules are made to be broken, Chris. You know that. Um, and then yeah, she's in the first the French Dispatch for like one scene. She plays a uh, uh, hooker. What is her? What is her? She's kind a kind of sort of. She's she's this, listed as junkie. She's a she's a sort of a. But she's has she this, shows the up air and she's of funny a just because she's cast in that role of a flop house sort of a flop house uh, uh, lady yeah. of the night right future Saint Pauli girl <laughs> exactly she's fun but it's like it's half a scene essentially that she's in um, and yeah and then uh, we'll see what see how they run turns out to be uh, in the future but yes we love Sertia. Um this is not. In the top ten of movies that I will think about when I think about Sersha, speaking of On Chesley Beach. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Much more fun to talk about her career, I think, than to talk about her performance in this movie. Which, again, a lot of it's out of her hands. The movie doesn't invest as much in her as it should. Well, because it doesn't... It invest in her because it doesn't ask as much of her it does feel like a little bit of a greatest hits Sersha performance where it's like <laughs> sure. it does kind of underline the Sersha isms in a way that I'm like incredibly watchable but go into you know, the Sersha it, it looks like this is maybe it, like I've never felt like Sersha has had crutches until I've watched this performance what 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 would you say those crutches would be what what are the Sersha isms how do you even up? describe it just certain type of like not even facial tics but like the way she'll look at a scene partner when she's like experiencing disappointment or yeah. when she's not in control of the scene you know like yeah, no. I, I, if I, I if I could do a slideshow, if podcasts were a visual medium, I could <laughs> right. I could do a PowerPoint presentation. But. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, you wanted to talk about Bleecker Street as a production uh, company. With yeah. To this movie. Okay. So this movie got picked up by Bleecker Street, released in the uh, early summer of that mm-hmm. year. Bleecker Street is one of those small indie distributors that doesn't have a ton of money and their movies don't necessarily make a ton of money. Yeah. But like they're always on the outskirts of awards and it feels like it's because they they don't have the funds to really, you know, put the oomph behind a campaign and it's like they also sometimes get the movies that, you know, nobody really is going to bat for them. Or if they do, it's always like something like disobedience. That's like, yeah. After the time people are like justice for disobedience, you know, they're and a younger I, company than I thought they were actually looking at them mm-hmm. where they, they're only really started in 2015. Um, but there are some movies in there, some bad ones. Trumbo is on that list and I don't yeah. want to, uh, um, but Trumbo is one of their few movies that have actually gotten an Oscar. I was going to say, I think perversely it's just that in Captain Fantastic, yeah. which is like when a movie gets picked up by them and like something like Mass this year, and people are like, "Oh, this is a surefire like Oscar nominee." I'm like, "This is a, this is a a distributor that's like put in the effort for things before, and they don't get Oscar yeah. nominations." So. By the way, looking at the Bleecker Street list, I am reminded of the film we actually said is going to be our first 2020 movie, and that is Wild Mountain Time. Oh. <laughs> that is going to be our Not first Not the bees. Yep. Is it bees in that movie? I will find out. Neither one of us have seen it, so we're going to find out together, Chris. That will be our first 2020 yeah. movie. Um, but yeah, it's stuff like I'll See You in My Dreams, which is a wonderful movie. Blythe Theander gives a great performance, but right, they did not 
sort of have the musculature to make that happen. Uh, it's certainly the- not to shit on the good people of Bleecker Street, but they've had movies that it's like, if anybody else had distributed it, it feels like, not anybody, but, you know, like, if uh, uh, a Focus or a Lionsgate or right. someone else had distributed Leave No Trace, that movie would be an Oscar nominee. You know, like an example like that. That's true. The Deborah Granick movie, Leave No Trace, which is... uh uh Super fantastic, and I really love it. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of movies where you maybe don't hear about it right away, and then there's a little bit of like a, if not word of mouth, then just sort of it sort of lingers in the conversation among people who see a lot of movies. You really have to like be a person who sees a lot of movies to see a good number of uh bleaker street movies but some of yeah, them are like a lot of their movies don't stay in theaters very long because they don't end up making money and even stuff like that does like logan lucky doesn't make as much as it should which is wild mm-hmm. because it's like it's one of the better later soderbergh movies it freaking rules it's such a crowd logan pleaser it's wonderful <laughs> like people like if you didn't see logan lucky in theaters i do feel bad for you because it's so fun like it's so it's such a good time of a movie um uh, what else? They've re- released a lot of movies in the pandemic that I like. I re- I love Together Together. Together um, Together is great. Patty Harrison's fantastic in that movie. They released the finest romance of 2021, Dream Horse. Dream Horse. <laughs> Dream Horse. <laughs> the movie, the movie that, that is not about Tony Collette falling in love with a horse, but it but is. The poster uh, it's says that movie. it is. Dream Horse, the movie that brought me back into theaters in 2021. I was so happy about that. Um, oh, I, I never for, I so- forgot that was your first movie in theaters. I never saw Supernova, which was the Stanley Tucci, Colin Firth, I hated gay it. Uh, re- relationship movie. Um, they did The World to Come, which I still have not seen, but I will soon, I, I like promise. I like that movie a lot. Um, which is uh, Vanessa Kirby and uh, Catherine Waterston on the frontier in a romance? Uh, yes. Sure. Yes. Let's say that. Okay, also, weirdly, they have... They did Together Together. They released that in April. And then in August, they just released a movie called Together, which is the... Gritty reboot. Uh, the <laughs> that was the James McAvoy, Sharon Horgan uh, COVID movie that people were like, it's a COVID movie. Don't Absolutely not will I ever see that movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm Your what Man, which... Ta- what do people think when they're making these COVID movies I don't like know. that? What I don't do they know. think the shelf life is for this? Are people going to watch that even in three years from now? Here's what's infuriating. You can't find two more charming people to me than James McAvoy and Sharon Horgan. And I would probably watch them in just about anything. And the one thing that I wouldn't is COVID relationship fraught drama. It's just, or whatever dramedy. I don't even know if, uh, how comedic it is, but like, no, like anything else but that, literally anything else but that. Um, also, Sharon the Horgan thing- was the weirdly cast as the, homophobic teacher in um it's not called there's something about jamie but it's uh you know everyone's what I'm talking, talking about? about jamie everybody's talking about jamie right which i you thought was talking about jamie Mama, you know who, talking about everybody jamie. should be talking about richard e grant in that movie and nothing else like he's know, great in that that's movie. why i feel bad for not having seen it yet he's wonderful in it but like it's an odd casting choice because i sharon horgan i think is such a like it has a great charisma and so whatever. And it's just like just to like sort of shunt her away as the homophobic teacher was a little bit of a bummer to the point where for a while in that movie, I kept being like, but does she have a point? And it's just like, no, 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 she's bad. However, she's bad. Sharon Horgan is allowed to say the F slur. Oh yeah, 
Uh, She's and, allowed. Yeah. Uh, also, have I said my thing about Sharon Horgan in uh, in Game Night before? That she and Billy Magnuson need to star in a romantic comedy together because their chemistry <laughs> in that movie is so fucking good. Because I wanted to like true. them in Game Night more than I oh, did. Oh, Chris, you should have because they were great. They were so... I, I don't love Game Night the way that uh, everybody else does, but I do love Rachel McAdams and Jesse Plemons in Game Night. I mean, they are also great, but Game Night is great in, in and of itself. Anyway, we're not here to argue about Game Night. The one movie that I think could be Bleecker Street's, that has the potential to be Bleecker Street's third movie ever nominated for an Oscar, that I think people are underestimating the chances are, um, are an international feature this year with I'm Your Man. That is a movie that I wanted to love a lot more than I ended up liking. Same. Because even when it does the unexpected thing, it does it in a cliche way. However, I feel like I like that movie a lot less than people do. Mm-hmm. It was a movie that I'm like, if it makes the bake-off list for international feature, I do think it's a threat for an actual nomination because it's so different than yeah. everything else that's going to be nominated there. And I think it's accessible. People are going to watch it because there's, you know, uh, uh, an English language star in it. Dan Stevens yeah. is really good in it. Um, I love. I mean, I love Dan Stevens and him playing the role of handsome robot. Like, yes, obviously, yes, handsome robot speaking German, which I think is like, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's not not impressive, but it's the type of thing that, like, the Academy is going to be more impressed by than we are. Yeah. Anyway, Bleecker Street, the the more that I look at their list, the more I'm just like, yeah, they're kind of low-key one of my, uh, kind of one of my favorites uh, doing stuff today, just in terms of, like, small movies that remain small, and a lot of the times that's to their detriment that they remain so small, but... There's good um, stuff in there. Disobedience the is a great movie. The Assistant is great. Disobedience is mm-hmm. great. The Assistant's amazing. Um, yeah, just lots of really good stuff. All right. Anyway, um, Chesel, Chesel, Chesel. I guess we could talk a little bit about Dominic Cook, although there's not a ton to talk about. He's a theater director. He directed that version of Follies with um, Amelda Staunton mm-hmm. that I watched on uh, on on maybe YouTube or something like that. Where she is good, but she mostly just barks. Um, Yes. Both of those things are true. She is both good and does, uh, and does sort of mostly bark. Yeah. Um, The interesting thing I think about Dominic Cook directing this movie is that it's his, he's a theater director. It's his debut. And the first director who is attached to this was Sam Mendes, who like is kind of the, you know, golden example of somebody who makes the stage to film leap and gets like a ton of praise from. Oh it. yeah, like he's 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 threaded that needle as well as pretty much anybody. Yeah, I like Sam Mendes. I know a lot of people are down on Sam Mendes, but I like. I Sam almost Mendes. can't imagine Sam Mendes making a movie like this anymore because, and like I I want him to. I want him to make another revolutionary road because, like, it just seems post bond movies he's just kind of making these huge boy movies things that i love less and less i really liked 1917 i know i know we very much really differ on didn't. that um i thought it was incredibly impressive and really well done and um uh i thought it was i thought it was great and 
one of the things about him being back in an awards conversation with that movie is we got to see the grand kaleidoscope of uh, people, especially Americans, trying to pronounce his name, which I think is very funny. <laughs> because I remember during the whole American Beauty thing, everybody seemed to be settled on Mendes, just like as, as if there were a, a, another E at the end there, Mendes. And then I think because Americans heard British people saying Mendes – or like Mendes, like not, you know, in a, in a very sort of like almost like clipped way or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Americans then started saying Mendes as if he was like Eva Mendes, which I'm pretty sure is not correct and <laughs> makes him sound uh, uh, ethnic in a way that, it, that he is not. And um, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just kind of fascinating to me. Anytime I hear an American say Sam Mendes. Um, but anyway... He was going to direct this movie, and then Mike Newell was going to direct this movie. Another sort of, uh, I, I don't know what a Mike Newell movie is in terms of like a vibe, right? He's directed uh, um, Four Weddings and a Funeral. He's directed Donnie Brasco. He's directed Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. He directed our first This Had Oscar Buzz movie, Mona Lisa Smile. And I don't really, I struggle to find a through line with like, what is a Mike Newell movie about? Enchanted April is a Mike Newell movie. Um, well, because he, the Prince of Persia, the Sands of point, Time, he is seems a like movie. a studio like standby, but he's almost not. Like he doesn't. He the credits would tell you that he's like a journeyman studio director. Yeah, but I don't. It, it like because like he attached himself to this movie. I don't think it was like a studio was like right. Let's get Mike Newell to do this now. The Sam Mendes is left. He tends to direct movies where the authorial voice tends to be either a franchise, like Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, or a writer, like when it's uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. That's a that's a, a Richard Curtis movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Donnie Brasco is a Paul Atanasio movie more than uh, anything else. Um, it's interesting. Donnie Brasco is an Anne Heche movie. How dare you? <laughs> yes. Um, he also directed that movie Pushing Tin, which I saw at the time and don't really remember a ton about, except for the fact that Same. it was part of the Angelina Jolie Ascendance. Like and that Kate was... Blanchett. Yes, but it was the same year that Angelina Jolie won the Oscar for Girl Interrupted specifically. So I always right. think of it in that, like, in conversation with, like, Gia and um, uh, what was the other movie that she did before? Playing by Heart. Playing by heart, yeah. Can't yeah, wait basically. to talk about playing by heart. We've got to do that. We really do. We keep threatening. Artifact. And of course, Mike Newell directed um, uh, our favorite movie uh, that exists as a title, and yet we've also both seen it, The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. Not the potato movie! Oh my god, throwing it back to the early uh, early fascinations on this podcast, uh, The <clears throat> Potato Movie. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Um, this movie... Uh, on Chesil Beach, while it is directed by Ian, uh, by Dominic Cook, does also in that way feel like an Ian McEwan movie more than anything else. He had two yeah. movies at TIFF that year that he had written the screenplay for based on his own uh, novels, this uh, on Chesil Beach and also The Children Act, which did not get released for like at least another year. And it was like very mm-hmm. quietly kind of like put out on, I want to say Amazon. No, it was, um, I'm pretty sure that that was one of, remember when A24 had a partnership with DirecTV, where mm. people are like, 
this A24 movie doesn't exist or A24 isn't doing anything for this movie. And it's like, yeah. no, this is this is their partnership with DirecTV. It is meant more to be placed on DirecTV than to be placed in theaters. They also had the deal with Amazon, which is what makes me think it is Amazon, because like all of the A24 movies eventually made it onto Amazon Prime. And now it's Showtime that they're partnered with. Which is a bummer because uh, less no accessible. Yeah. Um, Children Act is... Not bad, but also kind of odd and belongs in that kind of subset of movies like The Kindergarten Teacher, which is like, we're going to tell the story of a dissatisfied woman by her uh, sort of intense relationship with a child. <laughs> um, and she's she plays a, a, a judge. A, a, um, right? In Britain, they're still called judges. Barrister? Something? I don't know. Whatever the fuck. I think um, Barrister's a lawyer. Uh, I think you're right. Anyway... Uh, the wig. She's, you know, she wears the wig. Uh, anyway, um, gets really invested in this case where a teenage boy played by Finn Whitehead um, is dying of cancer or something. And his parents are religious and won't allow medical treatment. And and should there be an intervention? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Emma Thompson's quite good in it. It's not a great movie, but it's better than On Chesil Beach, I will say. Of the two Ian McEwan movies at TIFF 2017, uh, that's the better one. Um, he's an interesting sort of character, Ian McEwen. Um, kind of, uh, obviously wrote the novel, uh, Atonement that was made into a movie, wrote the novel Enduring Love that was made into a Roger Michelle movie that is really interesting and kind of dark and, uh, You unsettling. love that movie and I need to catch up. You to should it. watch it. It's, it's, it's a movie who, that begins with a hot air balloon disaster and not many movies can say that um and really kind of like strikingly filmed like roger michelle was 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 on it uh, with that one and then becomes this sort of like psychological thriller where reese fonts becomes obsessed with daniel craig and um really interesting uh ian McEwen also i learned just by doing my research for this i had no idea wrote the screenplay to the good son the Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> Elijah Wood, a movie where killer fifty percent of the vibe is what if Macaulay Culkin said the f word? What if Macaulay Culkin said fuck? And he does. He tells Elijah Wood, "Don't fuck with me." It's amazing. Um, uh, I included that in when I did trivia the one time of uh, my audio round of, of uh, iconic fucks. People who say fuck. Yes. Um, had no idea. What a wild and like completely like wasn't part of an era where he was doing like screenplays for American movies or anything like that. Like, no, just sort of sticks out as its own little Island in his career that he did the screenplay for the good son. Absolutely amazing. Of his earlier screenplays is the cement garden or is it the comfort of strangers? That's the incest one. Oh, I don't know. I have not seen one of those was adapted. Uh, let me try to look at. Oh, it's the Cement Garden because, like, he was like controversial writer right for a while because he did like an incest book, right? Oh, Comfort of Strangers, yeah, was directed by Paul Schrader. Um, uh, a screenplay by Harold Pinter, actually interesting, uh, with Christopher Walken and Natasha Richardson. I have not seen that movie, but it was uh, um, nineteen ninety. Played the Cannes Film Festival. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, Cement Garden was, give me a second, 1993 film starring Charlotte Gainsbourg. Love her. 
And it was about incest. Interesting. Weird. On I mean, that note, stuff... any, any last notes about uh, On Chesil Beach? Oh, gosh. Well, I did want to bring up, it does include one of my favorite pieces of music in a movie, which is the... Wake Up Alone by Amy Winehouse. No. Strangely. <laughs> when that needle drop happened, I was like, what the fuck? Because you get an Amy Winehouse needle drop before the subtitle telling you that it's in 2007. Yeah. Yes. That was odd. You're right. And 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 because for a moment you see the shot of Billy Howell's character, and before you realize that he's wearing old age makeup, you were like, "Is did something happen? Was he in an accident? Did he burn part of his face? Like, what's going From on?" From the A Beautiful Mind school of old age makeup. Woof. Yeah. On Chesil Beach. It does not. I will say when it's shown in daylight that very first time, it does not. It's like day drag. It's just like very. It's it's surprising. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. No, it's the it's the Bach uh, cello suite that shows up in everything. The thing that I call the one cello piece, because it is the <laughs> one piece of cello music that is used in film and television, and it is absolutely everywhere. I guarantee you, if you don't know it by name, you absolutely know it. If you hear it, I will I will one hundred percent put an audio clip in it. <laughs> I mostly associate it with You Can Count On Me. It shows up throughout You Can Count On Me. It is so beautiful. Because I love that movie so much, I love this piece of music so much. But it's in... um, Master and Commander in the Far Side of the World when they show up at the Galapagos. It's in Still Alice. It's in The Pianist. Uh, uh, I believe the cellist that uh, is a character in that movie plays uh, that thing. It's in, like, Highbrow Lowbrow. It's in The Hangover Part 2, right? It's in uh, Factory Girl. It's in just and a billion TV shows. And anytime I will see it in anything, I will 100% tweet about it. Uh, I, I need you to make a a New York Magazine highbrow lowbrow grid of movies that use it that use the Bach cello suite. It's it's I should. Um, uh, but yeah, if you ever see me tweeting about the one cello piece, this is what I mean. This piece of music is what I mean. Uh, you've absolutely heard it before. It's sort of it's not used to particularly striking effect in On Chesil Beach, but anytime I hear it, I am Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, pointing at the screen and just being like, "There it is! It's the it's the one cello piece." Yeah, what else about this movie can I say? It was better reviewed than I thought it would be uh, when I looked up the Rotten Tomato score. It's got a Rotten Tomato score in the in the 60s, even though I mostly remember just he- hearing from people who did not like it, but um, had fresh reviews from Kenneth Turan, Stephanie Zaharik, A.O. Scott. Like, people I genuinely, you know, 
respect and like their opinions. They weren't like effusive reviews. The most effusive actually is your uh your good buddy uh, Owen Gleiberman, who seemed to really love oh, it. My so. nemesis. <laughs> um but yeah, kind of went away very quickly, did not uh it was very easy to kind of shuffle this away, especially after um or in the wake of, because it didn't get released till 2018, in the wake of Saoirse's... Didn't even make a million dollars at the box office yeah. before, you know, it would be a miracle if a movie like this made a million dollars at the box office. Right, exactly. Oh, the one thing we didn't mention is that when it was going to be a Sam Mendes movie, um, uh, see, I did uh, yes. uh Mendes movie, it was going to star Carrie Mulligan, which I don't know if she fares any better. I think she no. still probably is subject to the same problems with the with the characterization that that Sersha had. So I'm kind of like good for Carrie for <laughs> dodging that bullet, <laughs> I guess. Because in 2017 she instead did, or was it 2018? Wildlife, the great unheralded Carrie Mulligan performance. Um, still mad that nobody uh, got behind that one. Her uh, promising young woman nomination is uh, for Wildlife. I think she's also pretty great in promising young women. But um, I do too. But I think a lot of what she's doing in Promising Young Woman, she does better in Wildlife. Interesting. I don't necessarily disagree with you in that. Um, but I do love them both. And oh, she's so good in Wildlife. Anyway, uh, yeah, maybe that's uh, maybe that's all we have to say about On Chesel Beach. I'm glad we finally did it. Raka ta titi tata. Um, yeah, I'm pussy bitch. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's the other thing I want to say before we're done. Samuel West plays Sersha's oh yes. father, you for this up. the who we find out uh, eventually, way too late in the movie. I feel like because it really does feel like a Scooby Doo mystery where uh, you know it was it was you all along, creepy Samuel West as her father. We find out that he probably molested her, and that's the source of her sexual dysfunction, which is a kind of a grossly overly prescriptive way of rendering yeah. something like that um he plays such an obvious sniveling creep and he's also so similar to the benedict cumberbatch character in atonement that i was like you know how you watch you enough like richard curtis movies and you're just like well richard curtis obviously has a quirky sister with like pink hair and and is super fun <laughs> because there's that character in every movie in every one of his movies there's somebody who who fits that type and now i'm just like where is ian McEwen drawing this one sniveling creep of a man from like who this did he one like sniveling child encounter rapist. in his life that he like maybe like watched something on television or like you know was a reporter covering a court proceeding or something like that. It's just like, where is this coming from? Because clearly there is a through line here from at least the Cumberbatch character in Atonement to the Simon West character in On Chesil Beach. But it's also just like, well, of course he's bad. Look at the way he acts. He looks like an actual rodent. What was person. the other movie? This is what I want to say. What was the other movie that we've done with Samuel West where he's playing this character again? It's like this unfortunate typecast for this really talented actor. Oh, wait. Actor. Well, now I, have to, now I have to look and see because I don't remember it. Because Samuel West, when I think of Samuel West, I think of Howard Sand. He's so good. And well, he's in Hyde Park on Hudson as King George. That's the mm, only other movie. We've definitely done another one. Or maybe we've just had this conversation about Samuel West before. Interesting. I don't remember it, but okay. Um, 
Yeah, the only other movie of his that we've covered on this is uh, is Hyde Park on Hudson. But he could have definitely played that character as sort of a sniveling creep, because that's sort of his deal. Anyway. Um, Do you want to move in on to the IMDb game? Let's. All right, explain to our listeners what the IMDb game is. Well, certainly. So every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, wherein we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. Joe, would you like to give her guess first? I'll guess first. Okay, cool. Uh, So for you, I was surprised we hadn't pulled this person. It was the first one that I thought of because the other uh, collaboration between Billy Howell and Saoirse Ronan, as we've discussed, is The Seagull. And much to my shame, for this performer, when they didn't get an Oscar nomination we were all hoping we would happen for, this is very, I think, instructive to our listeners who are confused about, like, what Oscar buzz is and how it works. I was like, guys, don't worry. It's gonna happen for the seagull. (laughs) The seagull is going to get Annette Bening her Oscar. Oh, Chris. Oh, how I will never forget this because it is the greatest, one of the greatest shames of my life. <laughs> All right, we've the never done that. That would be a thing. We've never done Annette Benning. Interesting. Poor Annette Benning. One of my least, my least favorite opinions that I definitely hold is true, is that. Of all her Oscar nominations, she was never the best in her category in any one of those years, which is a bummer. Um because I do love her, and I do think spiritually she should have an Oscar. Like, she like she is a person who should have an Oscar. And she was actually the best in her category in a year she wasn't nominated for 20th Century Women. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like in all her Oscar nominations, there was at least one person in her category that I probably would have given the award to instead. Anyway. Um, well, The Kids Are All Right, I think, is going to be one of them. It is. Kids Are All Right, I don't even think she's the best... In the movie, she's great. Movie. She's not. She's she's great. great. No, she's great. But, but Julianne's like, even I, better. Julianne deserved yes. what the type of credit that Annette Bening got for that movie. I agree. All right, American Beauty has got to be one of them. Correct. I don't think it's going to be all four of her Oscar nominations, but I think it's definitely those two. You don't think Bugsy movie that fully exists in the culture she did and everyone sees nominated. and watches and discusses? She did, did not get nominated for Bugsy. Surprisingly, oh, wait, what am I? Her four nominations. Well, I guess I just told you one of them is not there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I would have Maybe. guessed Bugsy, but thank you anyway. No, once once I'm done, we'll we'll mention. Oh, that. I know which one. Yeah, it's not there. Sorry. Um. Uh, also, I'll... a movie that everyone watches, discusses, and um, you know, The Grifters is a good movie. I will say. The Grifters is a very good movie. Stephen Frears. Um, but I'm yes, not going to guess correct. that, and I'm not going to guess uh, being Julia. I will guess the American president. Oh, I, I did just give you the grifter. <laughs> oh, it is the grifter. Because I thought you were guessing it. Oh, well, all right. Uh, pretend the I did. The grifters is there. You are correct. Being Julia is not there. Okay. You right. are incorrect. The American president is not there. So you have Boo. one wrong guess. <laughs> one correct guess that I gave you yeah. because I thought you were guessing it. Thanks. Um, and you still need one wrong guess to get the year. I'm just going to guess 20th Century Women, even though I don't think it's going to be there. Perfect score. Congratulations. No. Well, not a perfect score, because I guessed the American president. 
Well, we count it as a perfect score if you don't. Well, no, no, we no, no, no. You no, do no. sometimes, even though been a while since one of us has gotten one. I was trying to give you a layup, though. This no. was a little difficult. It's got to be four for four for a perfect score. What beautiful justice, though, that twentieth century women is on there. Beautiful justice. It's honestly, I'm proud of us. And when I say us, I mean gay people for making that movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know it's not just gay people who love that movie, but like honestly. What a wonderful little movie. I don't know. We've I evangelized do feel it. like if I was charged to say what my favorite performance of the past decade is. Yeah, it'd be up there. It's definitely one that I would be lingering on. Yep, I don't absolutely. know what the answer would be, but it would be In fact, one I think that's top of mind. When I did, because uh, when we did the blankies at the end of uh, 2019, we did blankies of the decade. And I believe... I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure Annette Bening in 20th Century Women was my performance of the decade. Fact check me if I'm wrong on that, uh, listeners. But anyway. Fact check him, any blankies who might be listening. And uh, if he did not do that, please shame him, cyberbully him. Do that. Do all of that. I definitely. Do all of that. Yeah. Looking forward to that. All right. Um, all right. Chris, for you. I went, I tried to, I, there, there was a lot of different roads that ended in, uh, in uh, dead ends for me because a lot of the people that I wanted to do, I was like, oh, I should do somebody from the good son. I should do Elijah Wood. No, it's just all Lord of the Rings. I should do, um, uh. Daniel Craig from, uh, from Enduring Love. No, it's all James Bond. No. I was just like, oh, you know, curses. But I, I went to the, I went to the big dog in the yard with Ian McEwen. I went to Atonement. We've never done James McAvoy surprisingly i guess that means from your preamble that they're not all x-men they're i will say this none of them are x-men and there's also no television oh that's good that's good i like that yeah is atonement one of them it is okay he's so good in atonement he's so hot in atonement he's the hottest person who's ever existed in atonement he's so fucking hot in that movie i can't even deal with it it's so insane problematic fave that he is also like just unwell levels of hot in um i just have to say this because it's a problematic fave and he is hot in it is trance on there it's not but he is you're right it's a problematic fave and he's so hot in that movie too you're right okay it's an incorrect guess but here's the thing about james mcavoy he's hot and almost like atomic blonde hot like uh, children of oh, doom. Oh God, I forgot huh. about Atomic Blonde. Yeah, um, that he's in it at least. Um, yeah, I'm gonna stop naming James McAvoy movies. Okay, so go. some of the franchises have to be there, and the other one that's coming to my mind is the Shyamalans. So it has to be Split. You are correct. It is Split. Do I think Glass Split is, is a there. is a junky movie that I think he rules in? I think he. I hate. I think that he gives such a good performance one. in that movie. I don't know. I think he does. Anyway, uh, okay. go on. Um, Continue. Hmm. Don't think Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby is on there. I will say, without it being a specific hint, one of the two remaining movies is obscure enough that I almost didn't do James McAvoy because I was like, that would be too hard. But Oh, okay. So one of these is going to be niche. Um, yeah. Like, real okay. niche. Real niche. That's interesting. What about Wanted? Didn't Wanted show up for Angelina Jolie? I'm going to guess Wanted. 
I would have probably guessed Wanted as well, but it is not. Okay. What are my years? All right. Your years are 20... Uh, sorry, one second. 2006 and 2013. 2006 has to be Last King of Scotland. Correct. It is the Last King of Scotland. Okay, so 2013, after he's done the X-Men movies, or at least the... <sighs> so this is the really obscure movie, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it... Um, what was the Frankenstein movie he did? What's that? The Frankenstein movie he did that no one saw. I Frankenstein or Victor Frankenstein, whatever one, one it's called. Those. It's not that one. Okay. I will say I had never heard of this movie before I looked up his IMDb, but he did win a British Independent Film Award for it. He won a British Independent Film Spirit Award for it. Um, on the poster, <laughs> the poster's so weird. Um, it says from the creator of Train Spotting, even though it's not directed by, by Danny Boyle. Um, so I imagine it's from the person who wrote Train Spotting. He did a drugs movie. There's eight billion like five star review uh, quotes on this poster, but it is mostly James McAvoy in the uh, costume of a um, of a of a British police officer. What are they called? Um, Bobby right with the little little helmet hat riding a pig as if it's like a bucking bronco no this is this is from uh, it seems like it's a chuck oh it is a drug movie movie, he's a junkie not it's the same author as the train spotting author yes yes that's that's yes jamie bell is in this movie um oh really jim broadbent is in this movie imogen poots is in this movie sure um do you have any familiarity with this? You seem to have more familiarity than I I, I know what it is. The it, It's a one-word title. It's something like, not gross, but like drug-related, right? Because I, I remember a poster that's, unless I'm misremembering the movie, where he's like climbing a ladder of cocaine. Oh. I'm not looking at that poster. The poster I'm, oh, yes, I see that one now. That you were looking at here. I'm gonna send what you. What is it? It's like. Wait, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna send you the link to the IMDb page because I want you to see the poster. Um, the title is like, it's one word. It suggests something like gross or like it's like trash. Is it trash? Trash. No, trash is the uh, is the Stephen Daldry uh, movie that we talked about uh, recently. <laughs> Trash. Trash. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, no, I just sent it to you in the chat. Okay. Oh, it's filth. 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 <laughs> Technically. Why is that on his IMDb? Why indeed? This is my this is what I'm saying. Like You said he won an award for it. Did he, he win a bunch of like niche awards for it and it like bumps up on his SEO? Alright. I know he won Because he's not a guy who's won a lot of awards. No, that is the thing, is he's been, like, cruelly underrewarded. He won the BAFTA Awards in Scotland. There's, like, a like a specific Scottish BAFTAs, I guess. He won sure. Best Actor there. He won the British Independent Film Award. He, um... 
Uh, oh, also London Critics uh, uh, Film Award for that movie, as well as Trance and um, that movie Welcome to the Punch. So, like, yes, he did won he did win a handful of awards in Britain for this movie that I've never seen or heard of. Um, if you have listeners, tweet at us. Let us know. Is it worth watching? Should I check it out? He doesn't. It seems like maybe it's it's a not hot McAvoy movie, and you know I. I, I like my McAvoy stuff uh, uh, piping hot. Um, also <laughs> hot in his Dark Materials. Also hot in um, just just do a rundown of all the things that James McAvoy is hot in. It's most things. Um, followed him. Followed him is the wrong way to say that. I walked behind him for half of a block in Toronto one time. I actively did not follow him because uh, I did not uh, I actually like turned a block before I needed to turn because I did not want to be the creep following James McAvoy but he was suddenly the blower's daughter starts playing in <laughs> Joe's head yeah uh, yeah exactly um, uh, he's great I love him alright anyway that's it that's all I got that's it uh, that is our episode. If you guys want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out our Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Uh, Joe, tell our listeners where they can follow you. Very good. Good job, Chris. You can find Ha-ha. me. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled the same way. I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork uh, and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get those podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So, uh, titita, tell us you love us, bitch. Very good. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week for more buzz. Yeah, I'm pussy beach. Ooh la 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 la. See boom, see boom. Don't go chocolate la. You can take my snatch, drag it up, wheel it up, give me more, bring it to the ball. Drag of your life. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, any color you can drag.